0: Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Unprecedented, the podcast that takes you through the life of all of our American presidents, their ups and downs, and how they got to the White House, but more importantly, how history looks back on them. As always with me, the man, the myth, the legend, the one that actually writes the scripts, does the research, and takes us down the sweet rose of history, Neil. How's it going?
1: Good. I'm excited. We have like, ended our, we're, like, finally at the end of, like, the presidential unknowns at this point, you know, after today, it'll just be the big names, the big guns, kind of, mm-hmm. and then, and then that's it, which is weird, you know, um, where we're really coming to an end, especially on this season, and then we just got, yeah, a bunch of, a bunch of hot, hot presidents left.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if we, if we want to describe them as hot, but, <laughs> but yeah, um I'm excited. We we've I've edited out me saying we only have bangers left for like five episodes now. But officially after today, we only have bangers left. Like it's just gonna be heavyweights, including my boy Teddy, including an orange Cheeto, and there's a bunch of other stuff that we've been just saving for the last season because we knew that those uh those presidents would take up two or three episodes depending on the on the subject matter. And um, we just wanted to dedicate a full season to them only, instead of breaking it out like we've done for this four seasons. So Neil, you called it uh, Audible today. Um, I did. Season four has been Omaha. slightly weird, slightly <laughs> weird, but I like it. Uh, not only have we discussed yeah. all the dead precedents we're going to discuss now, doubleheader again so Dwight D just keeps getting into hell matches because <laughs> nobody can take him down and you just keep throwing multiple precedents at him because he just keeps knocking everybody out like he's just he is Roman Reigns for the folks out there who loves uh WWE right now or The Rock in his heyday so you know um, I don't know. Do you wanna say why you did it or do you just wanna talk about the precedents?
1: I'm gonna I'll say why, but I'll say who they are first to kinda of okay. get us going on in our intro. And they are Miller Fillmore and Benjamin Harrison.
0: Is 1850, and Henry Clay introduces the compromise of the 1850 uh, to the United States Congress, something that we already discussed, but just a brief background. Uh, it was a package of five separate bills passed by the United States Congress on September of 1850 that temporarily diffused the tension between the slave states and the free states in the years leading up to the American War. The reason why I'm bringing it up is not only did Henry Clay and our boy Henry Clay R. P. and Senator Stephen A. Douglas spearheaded this um, compromise, our boy Miller Fillmore was a big advocate for this compromise. The 1850 United States Census shows that 11.2% of the population classed as Negro are technically mixed race. Take that with a Huge microscope, or a huge magnifying glass, and, and examine what that actually means. And American Express is founded by Henry Wells and William Fargo. And finally, Vice President Miller Fillmore becomes the 13th President of the United States upon the death of President Zachary Taylor at age 65. Neil, take it away.
1: So, when I was preparing for this episode, I was originally just planning on making this exclusively for Millard Fillmore, but you know, when I actually sat down to mull over what to cover within it, I could not, you know, in good faith, subject the audience to just a whole episode about the Compromise of 1850 and how it further put us path to Civil War. Now, we've covered so much already, and getting us together to just record for, you know, 20 minutes didn't seem worth it here either, so... We're gonna do one last presidential combo episode, which is a format we did, like you said, earlier this season with our Dead Too Soon presidents episode. And nobody today died in office, but we're gonna roll through these last two guys who are pretty unknown and relatively insignificant to American presidential history. Damn. You no, know, not fired. I mean, after this episode, like I said, you know, we're gonna be really gearing up for our podcast to tackle the last few Da-dee! Teddy, you know, is gonna get a couple more shouts to this. So you might be on. You, you be <clears throat> All right, let me All take
0: right. a let me take a swig of my wine first. Let me warm up the pipes.
1: So, like we said, it will be Washington, Lincoln, the Roosevelts, and Nixon. After we end with Trump in our next episode. So, again, you know, these are our last two presidential minnows and relative unknowns. Miller Fillmore, the president who succeeded Zachary Taylor after he died in office, and Benjamin Harrison, the grandson of President William Henry Harrison, who also died in office just one month in. So yeah. there is kind of a weird link with that episode, yeah, right? Yeah, there
0: you go. That's, hey, yeah. worst tag teams have been made up of worst uh, through lines. So I think this is a great connecting tissue that works.
1: Yeah. Uh, Dead president adjacent yeah. presidents yeah exactly. yeah it's a, I think it is a good little follow- up here, and these two are an interesting contrast between each other in terms of obstacle to, obstacles they had to face in their lives and and how it shaped their presidencies. You know Millard Fillmore had little resources or support growing up, you know kind of having to claw his way into obtaining an education and getting a clerkship to give him contacts in political life.
0: With that that first name, you knew that he was going to have a a hard life.
1: That is a rough first name. You know that's even like they have like the like NBC News Sunday things. They do like some presidential like stuff on there sometimes, and yeah, even they were roasting his name, which is pretty rough because they're pretty corny characters on there too. Harrison, on the other hand, he had all the political contacts, right? You know, being a part of the family who had political power all the way back into the revolutionary period of the country. So really their upbringings couldn't be any more different. Both presidents serve about forty years apart from one another, so their lives do overlap somewhat, as well as the presidential norms that they're operating under, you know, with much more limited power than what the president has at their disposal today. But we still seen presidents do a lot with their offices, even in the nineteenth century, where the concept of living in a government was popular, you know, throughout the first 150 years of this country. But Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson really set the example of how to centralize power within the presidency in the early stages of our country. And so you could argue every president that comes after them has somewhat of a playbook on how to leave a more lasting imprint on the country. The question, you know, with a lot of these presidents that follow Jackson is, you know, do they want to stray away from the norms of the country, of, you know, what the country is used to seeing from their chief executives? And, you know, there's a lot of variation you could point to within the 19th century that gives you an indication that some really tried and others would rather do anything else than stand out. You know, For example, a president who really tried to shape their presiden- presidency through more unilateral action was James K. Polk, who pretty much took the country into war by himself to take a ton of land from Mexico. And that war, you know, was certainly preventable, but I think Polk knew that his popularity and legacy would rise greatly if he could expand the country westward by means of conducting a short war. You know, another president who initiated aggressive actions during his time, albeit, you know, much differently, was President Grant, who worked with Congress to pass the Enforcement Acts in response to violence from the KKK, where they grant him the power to suspend habeas corpus and use the military to bring them down for a period. But... You know, putting those two examples aside, we mostly have presidents during this time who are satisfied in not asserting their own unique personality and authority onto the present, onto the presidency. If we think about guys like Martin Van Buren, James Buchanan, Rutherford, we have B- to think about them. We have to, you know, like they're just they're everywhere in here, <laughs> and you know, many others throughout the century. You know, we see people who have had plenty of opportunities to inject their offices into a larger force for needed governance. And instead cowered in, you know, into the status quo. Again, you know, this is much more of a nineteenth century problem than a twentieth century, as the office now, you know, swings wildly in types of actions you can get between presidencies. But what we want to know for this episode is, you know, who are these last two relative unknowns all about? You know, do they have aspirations of really making an impact in the presidency, or do they just want to stay content in office with the hopes that they don't make the nation too upset at them? and you know maybe we have something here with these guys because again we have the underdog story of Millard Fillmore who was never supposed to be able to make it to the presidency in the first place and Benjamin Harrison actually believed he was destined for glory as the next great politician in the family you know surely he would want to do something that would stand out right
0: that We're is gonna- like that is like the definition of a nepo baby right like, people that grew up in, in those environments really think that they're, like, destined for greatness just because they're surrounded by people that actually work for their craft and their talent.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah, if I was a Nepo baby like that, I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure how that swings. Like, do you just, like, try to be as humble as possible? Because I don't really feel like... Yeah, but um, I
0: feel like, you know, people people... Mit- Okay, that it just says a lot about society, and I'm I am not expressing that original you know thought by any means right now, but people are lo- are obsessed by the nepo nepo discussion in Hollywood. Like, oh my God, he's the son of so and so, and he's the grandfather. His grandfather owned NBC. Of course, he's getting all these roles. It's yeah. like this is like the least harmful version of nepotism ever to exist. Like, uh, an influencer or a model or an actor they really don't shape our society at all but there's huge nepotism in the banking industry in politicians and in medical fields and and things that actually shift our society
1: yeah even the media right i mean i feel like in the media too yeah in the media think about someone like chris Wallace who people really like they think he's like some kind of distinguished but his dad was you know more famous than him back in the day so yeah yeah. we're gonna find out now and you know we first start with millard Fillmore as he takes office in july of 1850 and you know we should provide a bit of context on millard's political life up until this point you know this is someone who is in many ways a local hero when it comes to the city of buffalo when you think of buffalo new york you probably think of you know not something, not you know Miller Fillmore. I mean, like the Buffalo Bills, a town that's pretty close to the Canadian border, also borders a Great Lake. All of those things, but more so than all those things, this is Millard Fillmore City. He was a community staple from the 1820s until his death in the 18 in the 1870s. And so, you know, first and foremost, you know, he was responsible for you know framing the charter that officially made Buffalo a city. It used to be a township back in the day. And through his efforts, the University of Buffalo was chartered by the New York legislature on May 11th. He became the first chancellor, serving in the honorary position from 1846 until his death. And then in conjunction, Filmer, you know, financially assisted the Sisters of Charity in the construction of Buffalo General Hospital, which opened in 1858. And then, you know, within the next, next decade, he became a member of the facility's Board of Trustees. He was the founding and presiding member over the Buffalo Club, the city's first exclusive social group. And in 1862, the Buffalo Fine Arts Academy um, was forged with Fillmore's support as both a financial contributor and board member.
0: Was anybody in your life part of like a social club?
1: Not in my life, no, actually. I see them around, like, you know, I live in Spokane now, and like, that's like, there's just something in, like in downtown just says the Spokane Club or something I always wonder what yeah, that is.
0: I've always like um found them weird but like my my grandparent my grandfather rest in peace Abuelo Tony, and my uncle rest in peace too um both like belong to this like social group Club de Leones, which is like um, Lions Club in mm. Puerto Rico and when he died they came to the funeral like the three or four surviving members of the society club oh. i've always like wondered like i've never asked them at all like
1: what is that club what
0: the, yeah what the hell <laughs> is just like just hanging out just what is it like what's the point of them like, uh, outside of like creating a friendship i guess
1: conspiracy um you know because like there are people who if you think about something that's like just supposed to be secretive right like the freemasons I feel like there are a lot of people who I mean Have you ever been to a freemason um, building or building? I've seen it but I've never been inside, no. Yeah,
0: I went to one in I think it was in Ohio. I went yeah. to one in I went inside one and it was very freaky. Like the yeah. uh, they had you can go into where they had their meetings and like the doors had like peepholes. Um, so when you knocked, you get, they opened the peephole Thank you. And the way that it was structured, it was like an auditorium, but it was like the, all the all the um, wooden chairs were like like stuck next to the wall in, in a small, uh, a railing, but of wood. So all of them would be like lining really, really close to the wall. And it was just this huge open floor, uh, wooden open floor. So everybody yeah. would be sitting in the, like close to the wall. And some something was happening in that.
1: Something happened in the middle of that room, maybe. <laughs> something happened in the middle of that. Room. I
0: don't know what was happening. In that maybe it was a dance competition, you Neon. Know, I don't know. Yeah. clapping There's away.
1: too much space for movement in that room. That's really suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Freemasons. That's a whole other thing that I don't even yeah, want yeah, yeah. to.
0: Let it tra- go. We don't want the Freemasons coming after
1: us. <laughs> but, you know, Mill, Miller, again, he's just big community staple. He also laid the groundwork for the Grosvenor Library as an ally and president of the Board of Trustees, which became one of the nation's most comprehensive reference collections. And, you know, he spearheaded a campaign to raise money for Buffalo Society of the Natural Sciences. He is actively involved in projects and i sorry, in a project for, to preserve Buffalo's historical and cultural property by organizing the Buffalo Historical Society. And so he's really just Everything to that city, I like think, yeah. in its very early days. They call him uh, Josh Allen now. <laughs> right. And so I think that in itself is pretty cool, and we should give Millard his flowers for that. Um, but with that, you know, Millard isn't you know just satisfied with being the Buffalo advocate throughout his life, though, and obviously makes a name in national politics as well, really coming into his own opposing Andrew Jackson as a powerful U.S. House member from Western New York during Jackson's presidency. He even helped to organize and form the Whig Party in 1834, along with you know Henry Clay and Thurlow Weed. And it might be Thurlow Weed. I'm not sure how how the first names pronounced, but he is a prom- prominent newspaper publisher in New York. So you know, as we know, the Whig Party was formed to counter the force that becomes you know the Democratic Party under Jackson, advocating for the constitutionality of the federal government to provide funding for infrastructure projects and to, charger, and to charter and a charter national bank. They had a tougher time though. Getting a consensus on you know what to do over the issue of slavery, you know some Whigs were complete abolitionists and advocated against expansion and for a future where the practice no longer existed in the country. Unfortunately, Millard was not one of these Whigs. Um, you know, instead he was someone who thought the federal government was powerless to really do anything over the issue. One of those you know frustratingly annoying types and. That position would not sit well with a faction of his party that, you know, was opposite to where, you know, he and Henry Clay was, the guy again who wrote the Compromise of 1850, as you mentioned earlier. And so, you know, we we
0: we discussed the Whigs so much. How big were they? How how big they'd become in terms of like if you were to compare them to the Republican Party? Or the, sorry, the Democrat Party that we're running against.
1: I mean, they were just as big in Good. like a little little span. Right, like they just and they won some elections too. Um, you know, Millard was a Whig president, uh, the last Whig president actually. Um, and so yeah, like it, it could have been just the Dems and the Whigs for forever, but uh, they couldn't they couldn't um hold their party together, and then we had a fracture. Um, but you know, if you remember where we left off with Zachary Taylor, Yousef, you know, that bill, the Compromise of 1850, was going nowhere. You know, Taylor was not enthusiastic about keeping New Mexico strictly as a territory nor did he indicate a desire to enhance enforcement of the Fugitive Slave Act a law that required northerners to turn in runaway slaves or at least not get in the way of southerners from retrieving them this was all Millard's doing when he became president and you know it came as a surprise to no one that Millard would advocate for the compromise to be passed after Taylor died Taylor's whole cabinet resigned to essentially protest the move but that did little to stop him the compromise was passed, and shockingly, the country, you know, did not become any more peaceful in the preceding <laughs> years because of it. Um, so the Whig Party, like I said, would fracture after eighteen after the eighteen fifty two. Was election. that
0: was that like the the eighteen hundreds version of a politician tweeting, tweeting out thoughts and prayers after something happens with, with uh,
1: No, that's a great comparison. It's like you know we have to instead of actually just dealing with the a very hard problem of like you're going to make a lot of people very angry and mm. you know it's a tough decision they just wanted to punt the issue for as long as possible um and then, yeah i feel like that's kind of what it is today it's just like oh yeah well what are we gonna do it's a right you know it's really yeah that's a great what are agreement.
0: we gonna do thoughts and prayers maybe
1: right and you know this this fracture in the Whig party after the 1852 election you know left some of them to join the newly established Republican Party in 1856 or the Know-Nothing Party, which is another political party that existed in this decade, which was a native – which was strictly, you know, nativist and was predominantly known to be very anti-immigrant, especially towards Catholics. And Miller and <laughs> so random. And, and, well, I mean, it used to be, like, a really big deal. Like, I mean, the, oh, fact, that yeah, 100%, J- they, they, the fact that JFK got elected as a Catholic was controversial 100 years later, you know? Um,
0: yeah, everyth- everybody was persecuted at one point in here,
1: Yeah. The yeah.
0: Irish, the Italians, German. the Chinese, everybody.
1: Um. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was rough for everybody for a bit, besides, I guess, the English. Yeah, man,
0: land of the free, baby! <laughs>
1: Miller Fillmore didn't receive the nomination to, be to the Whig ticket in 1852 for re-election, but he did receive the nomination for the Know Nothing Party in 1856 after writing anti-immigrant letters to be published in the run-up to the election that were unfounded and sort of out of left field for him. It seemed pretty clear he just wanted to be in the presidential race again, and so he
0: was like he was like the original grifter,
1: a little bit, yeah. I mean, he like it was kind of weird that you didn't have any other president really trying to go after the presidency from just like a random i guess besides teddy teddy did that he formed his own party but yeah they but, but
0: but his core values were like aligned with what he built like you're saying that he it came out of left field so yes. teddy really <laughs> just followed his values with his new he fucked up part of my because he Gave power to Woodrow Wilson, one of the worst presidents of all time, but, but yeah.
1: Yeah, no, but this guy just wanted, I think he just wanted to be back in power. And the No Nothing, I mean, No Nothing Party, the reason why it's called No Well, the
0: Whigs, the Whigs are just, like, batting
1: zero for, like, zero for a hundred, man. They yeah. keep
0: picking horrible human beings.
1: Oh, uh, <laughs> I thought you just meant, like, oh, yeah, where are they at in this election? But, yeah, no, yeah, they, um... Yeah, they really made a, a not great choices with just yeah the presidential picks. I mean, it could have worked out somewhat with the first um, Harrison, but they kind of gambled on his uh, on his age there. Um, but anyway, this party doesn't really have much of a platform, right? And so I think that that is what is intriguing to Fillmore here, right? Like he, it's just like a whatever kind of party. It's called a no nothing party because if you ask somebody about the party and they're actually a part of it. They'll say they know nothing, right?
0: Kind of like the original Fight Club.
1: Right, right. And so they're just there to serve, a, you know, as a choice in the void being left by the Whigs for people with anti-immigrant sentiments. And so, nevertheless, Miller would go on to be actually one of the most popular third-party candidates in U.S. history. He won 21.5% of the vote and all the electoral votes of the state of Maryland. But... Ultimately, he was unsuccessful in getting the election to be decided by the House of Representatives, because really his plan was to, you know, make it so divided that no one got a, you know, the magic electoral count number, which I don't know what it was in 1856 to win the, win the election. So if he got to the House of Representatives, he thought he'd have more sway where he could have a chance on winning on the House vote rather than the electorate. So. You know, as you could see, I kind of breezed over his presidency because it was only noteworthy in getting the compromise passed so the country could, you know, move on in quotations there from slavery dominating national politics. Yeah, he
0: was only a president like for two years, two and a half years, maybe two right. years?
1: He had no intention of taking on the South and their endless pursuit of, you know, demanding equal power to the North in regards to expanding slavery. And he probably thought that he could punt the issue for as long as Monroe had in eighteen twenty. And so he would go on to help with war efforts in Buffalo during the Civil War, commanding the Union Continentals to, to, you know, defend Buffalo in case of an attack. He later, though, would go on to call for more sympathy towards the South. Oh, uh, my God, dude. Later Let's put in the, the, war, weeks
0: in the in the South.
1: At the exact time when the North was starting to see, you know, the end in sight for a victory. And that alienated him with the Lincoln administration. And so he follows this. Up by supporting George McClellan, who is the Democratic challenger to Lincoln in the 1864 election. Um, he actually believed at that point in 1864 the best solution going forward to end the Civil War was the Democratic Party Democratic Party's plan for immediate like cessation of fighting, the end of fighting, and allowing the seceded states to return with slavery intact to be the best possibility for restoring the Union. So. That's no word for you. <laughs> um, oh, so, yeah. yeah, he has a strong political start, um, but he gets more disappointing the further in life he goes. and
0: That that's... happens so, to so many of them,
1: huh? Yeah, yeah. What no, do you it's... think
0: it is? What do you think it is? You think it's like um, the the political system, uh, you know, the grind, the the compromising your values to get to places and eventually... Because there's like this like there's this phenomenon and I I don't know if I a hundred percent believe in it, but like if you say something so often, you're gonna actually start believing it. 100%. So Yeah. So maybe he's just like those compromises, he's been compromising so long that he just became what he, I don't know he what was I saying say. out outwardly to get, you know, political favors or polit- I feel like that's what's happening to everybody, right? Is it or is it me?
1: No, I think it's part of his nature to be like uh, this—way too compromising, you know, sort of type. Like to the point where it's just like harmful, you know, like because that that was his whole thing with the compromise of 1850 was that. But we just gotta maintain the peace. We just gotta make sure no one like gets upset enough to like do something crazy, right? Like when the Civil War broke out, it's kind of a shock value to everybody because it's like, okay, yeah, well, they like left. Country, so I guess we got to kind of try to get the the land back that you know essentially belonged to the federal government. Uh, but then it's just like, yeah, the same kind of logic comes in place later, where it's like, oh well, now like you know everyone's just too upset. So many people have died. Like let's just you know I I don't even know how that like rationale could come in because after three years of fighting, this is already after Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, and yet yeah, he's calling for slavery to still you know exist after the war so that's a really bad look i don't know if it's just like getting people who get older just get really like i don't know content with like no change or slow change that's my
0: fear man that's my fear with like every time a new issue appears i won't mention any issues just (laughs) update me maybe somebody five years from now is listening to this podcast for some reason um but yeah every time a new issue happens i'm like okay, I get it, I understand, mm-hmm. I don't have a strong opinion about it, so I guess I'm not old yet, it's like, I'm, I'm just waiting for that moment where I go like, that should not happen, and I'm just <laughs> shaking my fist in the air, and I'm like, damn it, fuck, I'm old.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can feel, like, there is, like, you know, a, like, scientific, like, uh, I mean, there is, like, some scientific fact to people just ultimately getting more conservative as I get older, right? And I'm not trying to like paint Yeah, but I don't
0: think I don't think ad- that they I don't think that
1: they I'm going to
0: argue that they don't get com- more conservative. I feel like they s- stop getting as progressive. You know, every generation has you know those hundred step more things than are- the previous generation. Yeah. And suddenly that new generation goes 100 steps forward and they go like, whoa, those guys are super conservative. And they're like, no, fuck, we were like the, the cool kids. What happened?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's just natural. Evolution. Yeah. So Miller was really not cool by the end of his life. Um, no, he sucks. Um, like, you yeah. just
0: keep rubbing like softballs to Eisenhower. <laughs> I feel like you did it on purpose, <laughs> you know.
1: You this is not stack my fault. Deck okay. with I did like pick our presidents here. <laughs> um, um, Hold on, I want to do one cough here. All right, do you want to <coughs>
0: switch to the other president, or you want
1: to? You want to debate nope. who's your That's favorite president? we're gonna now this takes us to Benjamin Harrison. Right, we have a redeeming figure in this episode.
0: Well, we have a redeeming figure, but we don't have a redeeming year though, because the year is eighteen eighty-eight. Exactly 100 years before I was born. And so you cannot blame me for anything that happened here. The year is 1888. The schoolhouse blizzard hits Dakota. The states of Montana, Minnesota, Nebraska, Kansas, and Texas are devastated by this blizzard, leaving 235 dead. Many of them children walking from home to school. The Great Blizzard of 1888, not to be confused by the Schoolhouse Blizzard, begins in the eastern seaboard of the United States, shutting down commerce and killing more than 400 people. And also that same year, according to the Japanese government, a large-scale eruption of ash smoke hit around Mount Bandai area, Fukushima, Japan. And more than 477 people are dead. And to top it all off, our boy, Jack the Ripper, is currently active. As the Whitechapel murders are occurring uh, between 1888 and 1899. With over 11 unsolved murders of women have been described uh, to be identified to the notorious Jack the Ripper. But don't worry, it's not all doom and gloom. In 1888, the state capitol building is completed at a cost of $3 million and opens to the public of Austin, a place that me and Neil visited. It's a very beautiful uh, wow. building. Yeah, it's a nice one. And finally, in this gloomy, horrible year, the 1888 united states presidential election democrat party incumbent incumbent incumbent
1: incumbent <laughs> i'm i'm like you got incumbent. the incumbent the last one was right incumbent
0: yeah incumbent
1: mm-hmm.
0: and finally the eighteen eighty eight united states presidential election democratic party incumbent
1: you're uh... a <laughs> grover <laughs> A fun name, bunch of fun names and subs-
0: yeah. And finally, the 1888 United States presidential election Democratic Party Grover Cleveland wins the popular vote but loses the electoral college vote to Republican challenger Benjamin Harrison, therefore, you losing the election. And now we have good old Benji to talk about. Neil, take it away.
1: Okay. Well, thankfully, Harrison. I don't,
0: I'm sorry. I'm, I'm. I know. To the listener, you're gonna hear a quasi-coherent rambling from me, but that was rough, and I
1: apologize, That's okay. No worries. Um, but like I said, this is this is this is a uh, a nice turn of events here because thankfully, Harrison has a surprising amount of quality to him, and really serves. As the bridge between the Lincoln slash Grant Republican Party, you know, the eighteen sixties and seventies, to the Teddy slash Tap Republican Party of the nineteen hundreds, if we could point to a precursor slash inspiration for how Teddy approaches the presidency and what issues he wants to tackle, as well as the means for how he approaches them, Harrison's presidency serves as probably the best model for what Teddy decides to do himself. Just with much more aggression, and so this is especially true when it comes to the issues of antitrust, environmental protection, and conflicts overseas. You know, there's there's not much to highlight in Harrison's political rise. You know, he of course has the ideal upbringing and resources that anyone would need to make a life in politics. You know, he he did serve in the Civil War with General Sherman in the Atlanta campaign, which was particularly brutal as they ended up destroying the whole city, but His leadership in the war gains him a ton of esteem, not as much as his grandfather had from the War of 1812, but enough to give him the benefit of adding, you know, military accolades to his resume. From there, he eventually becomes a one-term senator in Indiana in the 1880s and uses his leadership in a swing state to become a contender for the Republican nomination in the 1888 election against incumbent Grover Cleveland. So even though he loses the popular vote, he wins the Electoral College, giving an inauguration speech that is half the length of his grandfather's for good measure. (laughs) I don't know if you heard clear there. Um, Like I said, you know, there's a ton of good stuff to feel encouraged about within this presidency. You know, I I'd mentioned the newer issues for Republicans already, but the issues that united the party in the first place over, you know, reigning in on the South's abuse of black people and their ability to express their civil liberties through voting you know, the Republican Party had abandoned that effort in the recent presidencies of Hayes, Garfield, and Arthur, but uh, but Harrison puts the issue, you know, back into the public forefront, you know, calling on legislation to protect Black Americans' civil rights. Um, you know, Harrison's Attorney General William H. Miller through the Justice Department or the prosecutions for violation of voting rights in the South. It's just the white juries, you know, would never really, would never, you know, um, convict or indict violators. And, you know, this, you know, motivated Harrison to, you know, urge Congress to pass legislation that would secure, and this is a quote from him, secure all our people with free exercise of the right of suffrage and every other civil right under the Constitution and laws. Um, Harrison endorsed the proposed federal elections bill that was written by Henry Cabot Lodge and Senator George Frisbee Hoare in eighteen ninety, but the bill was defeated in the Senate. He would go on and like really try to push through for this bill, giving a lot of speeches that I mean, really quite nice to read in the sense that like it was just very uh like adamant on like, you know, black people were like losing their civil liberties and like, you know, what is the justification for this? What do we fight the civil war for? He severely questioned, you know, the state's civil rights records arguing that if states have the authority over civil rights, then, you know, we have a right to ask whether they're at work upon it. Even though he, like, really advocates, really pushes, the Senate puts a stop to it um, for any kind of, like, momentum in getting a civil rights bill passed. And this effort is the last attempt by a president to pass a civil rights bill until LBJ in 1965, and only has made Harrison look like a stronger president as time has gone on for, you know, revitalizing the issue back in the public prominence without— Having much of anything to gain politically for it. At the end of the nineteenth century, century, the American public held great, you know, animosity towards, you know, corporate giants that had, you know, you know, monopolized the economy. You know, if you think about John D. Rockefeller or, or Andrew Carnegie and their businesses. Um, and so, in response to, you know, these monopolies, um, the Harrison administration passed or signed the bill of the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890. The first of its kind um, in hist- in American history, and still provisions of it exist today. It prohibits anti-competitive agreements and unilateral conduct that monopolizes or attempts to monopolize, you know, any relevant market. Um, yeah, but,
0: you know, and and that, and luckily, those type of laws have really prevented. Companies like Disney and Apple, AT and T, and Apple and Amazon and Walmart and <clears throat> Walgreens from really destroying our economy. So, luckily, okay. laws work.
1: <laughs> well, the problem with this law is that actually, yeah, it was it was too broad, um, and so it wasn't um, something that could really be acted upon very strongly. But I mean, for it being like you know the first kind of goal in 1890. Aim for effort. Right. Um, And I think that, you know, again, like what you're going to like about Teddy later on, he actually, you know, really does go after these big companies here. But like I said, the bill proved too vague in language, too limited in staff and budget allocations for bringing suits and too weak in, you know, the fines that these companies would pay, um, which could only be up to $5,000, which more money than it is today, but still not that much when it comes to you know companies having billions of dollars and so um like I said, this set the stage though really for Tay to strengthen and lean into the law more forcefully by the time he reaches the presidency. This isn't you know going to be something that is novel or new or that the public isn't used to, and that really works to tay's advantage when he becomes president um and so another big win for Harrison is that in March of eighteen ninety one the help of Congress, Harrison signed the Land Revision Act of 1891, uh, and this legislation uh, was a result from a bipartisan desire to initiate reclamation of lands that had really been open to the public in the West all the way up until this point. There wasn't any, you know, like Bureau of Land Management or government lands, and so um, this act put in place to, you know, take back, you know, uh, these lands. Um, to, like, reserve them for the federal government and kind of, like, have the first kind of protection over forests. You know, he establishes Yosemite as the first national – not Yosemite, sorry, Yellowstone – as the first national park um, in the U.S. And so even, again, Teddy gets this whole, like, you know, national park, you know, environmentalist sort of, um, like, label. But, I mean, Benjamin Harrison really gets the momentum going with the Land Revision Act of 1891.
0: Yeah, um, like you know, he talked and talked, but but Teddy walked the walk. You know, he was actually <laughs> at the parks.
1: <laughs> I will say Benjamin Harrison; he he did visit Yo seventy three times in his life. So there is. It's always hilarious
0: like, to think about that, right? Though they're like, we got to protect the land, and it's never like we got to give back the land to the people we stole it from.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a. I mean, yeah, that's a always a point that we could make in in every episode here is like yeah <laughs> just ignoring native americans and yeah um but you know i think these three issues alone put him in the top 50% of american presidents yousef you know as he's he's holding on to 19th century republican principles of working to defend civil rights while also recognizing the federal government's responsibility to you know prevent abuses against economic competition and the environment itself and that's a big win for us you know we don't usually i feel like you know with these presidents we don't find too many gems you No. Know, with that being said harrison of course has his flaws when it comes to, you know to things like <laughs> i was just politics. about
0: i was just about to ask where's the poop neil <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and you know again this his foreign policy also serves as an inspiration for teddy in his presidential years um Daddy. First, you know, he, he organizes the first Pan-American conference in October of 1889. Mm. And again, these are also wins here, but he appointed the nation's first black minister in history, Frederick Douglass. He was the minister to Haiti um, in Benjamin Harrison's administration. But, you know, the rest of his presidency was a bit of a mixed bag. You know, he, he annexed six states, which was the most of any president since George Washington, Annexed North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and Washington. That's a shit ton of states for, you know, just one term. Um, he was kind of, like, you know, in slash in on it slash fine with the like coup d'etat that happened in Hawaii that took place against their queen from American missionaries. And he was getting really close to annexing the territory as well, but um, was pushed out of the presidency shortly, you know, before he could. He got pretty close to starting a war with Chile over claims of American, you know, sailors were being attacked by Chilean police without provoking them during the Chilean Civil War. Um, And so he really, like, gears up the Navy to attack Chile and, you know, make this a really wide-scale conflict over, like, just the very simple notion that their government wanted to apologize for these American sailors dying. Accusation we don't actually really know for sure, through like you know the Chilean police, at least like that the Chilean police had killed these sailors. He eventually got an apology after preparing the Navy for war, and it looked like you know that conflict was actually gonna arise, and again, this got a lot of praise from Teddy, who kind of like got inspiration for it as like you know his his big stick sort of policy where like you really strengthen the navy, you strengthen American colonialist influence to kind of like you know make sure that, you know, people kind of bow down in the sense. That's a very oversimplistic way of putting it, but we'll have a lot more to talk about in the Teddy episode with that. And then, you know, he lost his re-election bid against Grover Cleveland. Third-party candidate James Weaver kind of picked off those from him, and the economy was not doing well after passing the McKinley Tariff, which raised tariffs to a record high in this day. We talked a lot about the McKinley Tariff in the Grover Cleveland episodes because the panic of 1893 sets in that really makes... Grover's second term like a shit show Uh, but he blames this on Benjamin Harrison and there are some like well-founded sort of claims to that even though Grover does his own shit with making you know taking silver off of like you know um, just going back to the gold standard when like uh, when Harrison makes it part of American currency and so there's just this like you know in and out of like currency being like really like weird in these days. This is a probably not needed point, but I just thought it was interesting. um you know his wife died of tuberculosis shortly after the election um his like re- failed reelection bid and he goes on and remarries his wife's niece, who's twenty five years younger than him and was his wife's secretary goes on to have three more kids um at the age of sixty two onward and so that's also kind of a i feel like it's a real you know creep creep thing at the end of his life to kind of mention, but kinda just get paints a picture of like the whole man in in itself. But you know, this is someone again who like had a presidency that like had was was pretty effective, got a lot done, tried to get even more done just in four years. Um and you know, like even though he had these colonialist tendencies, he really I think was starting to push the progressive movement that was happening in the Republican Party and really like picked up steam after, you know, Teddy took over. And so that is benjamin harrison as well and we are at the end here of our of our two subjects for the presidency today
0: you're gonna combine those these two people or do you want to do separate? because i feel like one guy is actually a good discussion to compare um
1: against eisenhower yeah yeah another one is just a throwaway if i'm being honest yeah you don't have to do the millard Fillmore. we all know millard's not gonna win that one well. but you can do benjamin harrison <laughs>
0: All right, well, uh, let's just, like, let's just do it. Okay. All right, Neil. Uh, we've come to uh, everybody's favorite part of our podcast, the moment that I ask you, what is who is your, the moment I ask you, who is your favorite president of all time, legally binding? Will Dwight D, no LGBT, actually go down to Miller Duck in your rankings. So get it instead of Mallard, is Millard.
1: Is it's Millard.
0: Mallard? Miller. I don't know. He was so I, I'm so tired of these people, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. This is why I see like I thought it was necessary cuz the Miller fillmore episode by itself would have been really rough. It would have been really rough. I mean, like I could have went more into like, you know, his build up, but like we don't care about Millard that much. I don't think we should all care about Miller that much. He's yeah. Really like uh really well loved in Buffalo, like I said. He's got um you know some kind of legacy to him. I think, <coughs> I think someone in Montana, maybe this is Benjamin Harrison. I don't know. Uh, Eisenhower beats Millard by a lot. <laughs>
0: Alright, that's
1: surprising. Um
0: so now we'll Dwight D, not LGBT, survive his mashup versus Nepple, baby Benji.
1: I mean, I think if Benji would have gotten four more years, he could have had maybe another like a good shot, um, depending on what he would have done in those four years. Because um, I do like a lot of things. He he kind of kicks the country off with with like the the progressive era and
0: yeah, I feel like he actually does a lot of groundwork. Well, and it's it's underrated. Underrated when somebody you know, is easy to finish the alley oop. Nobody nobody congrats the person that passed that ball.
1: Yeah. I mean what makes I think what separates him from almost everybody of like his contemporaries and people who come after him, like what separates him in a sense from Taft not Taft, um, you know, Teddy is that <laughs> he's a he's a really great advocate for civil liberties in the south for black people and like that's huge especially in the 1890s when like everyone has all been given up on this issue and you know there's again there's no political benefit to him you know trying to get a civil rights bill passed like that that moves him up the ladder a ton for me like i think that he's going to be possibly a top 15 president in my final rankings um yeah. And so he does I mean I think he he does come somewhat close to Eisenhower in some ways like for being like a good advocate for um you know kind of again kickstarting this movement but I I, I can't get and him It's the also
0: like a, like a, I know that you're not going to pick him but it's also like a, a brush of,
1: it's breath also of a
0: breath of fresh air um given the fact that we've We've dealt with such human garbage for a little yeah. bit now, and you know, I like,
1: like, Yeah, and for if for someone who's in like a nepo kid, like we never had like a nepo president that was great either, right? I mean, like, I mean, I guess JFK was okay, and I mean, but you didn't like, but like, no, I mean, George W. We didn't. Stop
0: bringing up, up George Bush, Bo- dude. <laughs> nobody likes him. Stop. He is a, it's a war criminal. Stop bringing yeah. up.
1: <laughs> John Quincy Adams was pretty ineffective. Like, this is probably, like, the best, like, presidential, like, uh, grand well, um, sign. Or sign. This
0: dude, um, <laughs> he wasn't bad. He was just man. The one yeah. that, uh, did the bribe to go in. I'm blanking his name.
1: Um, that did the bribe? Oh, like, John Quincy Adams, yeah.
0: Yeah, he was fine.
1: Yeah, he was okay, but he wasn't. He, I'd say Benjamin Harrison gets the nod over him if we're comparing those two.
0: No, no, I know, I know, but I'm we're, we're, we're trying to we're trying to remember Nepple babies, and he's one of them for sure.
1: Right, right. So, yeah, no, he's he's solid again. Top fifteen president for me for sure.
0: And and that just goes to that just speaks to the fact that
1: there's so many bad. Yes. 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 It doesn't take much, honestly. I mean, I think that he does a bit, like I said, like but you know, if you, you know, if you just don't do something horrible, like you got a shot of breaking the top, the top fifty percent there. So yeah,
0: Dwight, Dwight D has just defeated James Buchanan, James Madison, Warren G Harding. His only good matchup was um, Barack Obama, but he defeated him. Ruther B Hayes, then the three that presidents. Andrew Jackson, Millard Fillmore, and now Benjamin Harris. That's that's, a that's, lot a, pre- that's an impressive streak streak. And yeah. I'm gonna call my shot. And I don't think he, I don't think uh, Donald Trump is gonna defeat him either. So <laughs> he is gonna go into season five as our as our. That's just that's an impressive
1: streak. As a season undefeated, he went the whole four seasons. Full
0: season undefeated.
1: Yeah, so props to props to Dwight. You know he's he's a real one.
0: <laughs> I guess um, <laughs> I don't I don't hate him. I like him. It's fine. He's, he has some major flaws, but again, it goes to goes to what we just said. Like you're, if you're just like a quasi decent human being and your policies hold up, at least your your vast majority, or at least over fifty percent of your policies hold up.
1: Mm.
0: you're in yeah. the top 10 top
1: 15 i feel like i wish that we had like the audience kind of respond to us sometimes because like i want to pitch to the audience like what would they what would you think of a sad episode that's like a drunk history episode you know have you like seen those on comedy central before <laughs> Yeah, that's, i mean like i feel like that would be a really fun one to do but i don't know if that you know would get i don't know if that's something that you want to do Um, and that if the audience would, you know, demand it, then you'd have to do it, I feel like, but we don't get that kind of push here.
0: Um, I, I, I often wonder what this podcast would be with a large audience, um, due to the unavoidable political nature of it. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, am I very much either actually drunk or punch drunk or just pissed off moments where I'm rambling and me editing and going like, Neil said to keep it in, but I really want to take this comment out. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I I mean, I think that it would just
1: be, if there was like a really large audience, I feel like it would be very hard to speak openly. Right. Yeah.
0: Hopefully somebody like just a random person finds it down the line, and they're like, "Oh, I really like this." And that doesn't like I know uh, at least Alberto likes it. Our, our friend yeah. he listens to it constantly.
1: I think we have our own loyal following. Like they don't really engage in any other way, but I mean, I definitely like see it. It's just uh yeah, you know, it's kind of cute. You know, it's a nice little like way to to just see that like some people like we have we have said sev- we have like. You know, almost 100 people like follow it on Spotify, which is cool.
0: Yeah, that's
1: you know that's something. Podcast. I feel like that's 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 decent.
0: And the reason why we're talking about audience size and engagement is, I think we're gonna touch upon nuclear. We're gonna <laughs> go into. <laughs> yes.
1: Radioactive. <laughs> I feel like we
0: went into. Post, like po- Hiroshima, like twenty years after the bomb hit, when we went into Obama topics. Yeah. Now we're gonna go like a day after Hiroshima. Like, it, like this is this is, this is wasteland right yeah. now. Um. So Neil, and where are you gonna take us on to close out season four?
1: to we'll have a very, very calculated. Um, I don't know. It, it, yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna have a very tough time putting together a Donald Trump episode. Um, to try to make it still. Uh, I don't know. I'm I don't know. I i do not know i do not know what I'm gonna do with it, but we're gonna do a Donald Trump episode. So, <laughs> yeah. you think
0: it's gonna be one episode or two?
1: Uh, one is good for me, but it'll be a long one, probably. Okay. Or an hour and a half. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I think i will talk less really about. I mean, I think that the thing is, is like we're gonna talk maybe less about Trump and just more about how you know Americans just like let that happen.
0: No, we gotta talk about Trump, dude. I mean, we'll <laughs> so talk much
1: about, stuff we'll happened about Trump. But I really just want to like you really gotta distill something up. of it because yeah. it's 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 still
0: ongoing. I mean, this dude. Could it's honestly impressive how much stuff happened in those four years. Like we often talk about presidents, like we often talk about I know like this became the Donald Trump episode, but we often talk about presidents like well uh the only two things that happened in his presidency is the tra- tariffs, and <laughs> he picked the wrong collar tie and and that's it, and no, dude, like this was like every single day something happened,
1: well every single so, day, yeah, it was uh it was a stressful time i don't know i mean like i have never been more stressed in a four-year period with just like (laughs) seeing things in the news than that time so um yeah we will we will do it and i'm curious to see what engagement we get i will say um so yeah there's that (laughs) (laughs) all right so
0: thanks for listening for thank you for subscribing shout out to those 100 and, and spotify (laughs) <laughs> um, and we'll see you like in two weeks ish. Life is happening around us. We're busy, but we're trying to we're trying to create content for for you. So hopefully in two weeks we'll we'll, we'll post it. If we're not, we're sorry. But just know that Donald Trump is on his way. You know, <laughs> hot takes.
1: Yeah, it's a tough. One. I don't
0: think I've ever been. This um prepared sense not prepared, but I know I'm gonna get hot. Like I I knew it was gonna get hot coming into Bill Clinton. Yeah. And coming into Reagan, I was like, I'm I'm already pissed. And yeah. Woodrow Wilson, I was already pissed knowing that we were gonna record them. <laughs> so
1: yeah. This would be a very research heavy episode, which will I mean I guess that part will be nice. You know, I, I there's it's very you know, I, I I remember all of it pretty clearly, you know, like, I mean, obviously I'm going to like, you know, look over his stuff and all that, but like, there's just a lot to just say, you know, about full yeah. time. So, yeah. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.